0: The following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of its people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.
1: I'd like to say good morning to everyone. Uh, our scripture reading this morning as you can see is from uh, John chapter 4 1 through 15. Oh, <laughs> the overview of this uh, chapter is Jesus and the Samaritan, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he came to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did his sons as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the woman that I will give the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water 15 verses, John chapter 4. May the Lord add a blessing to those who read, hear, and obey his word. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you,
0: sir. How many folks have sat in your home, the privacy of your own home, and laid back on your couch one day and just said to yourself, man, I really wish that someone could explain to me What on earth do the words that my child uses, what on earth do they really mean? And when I'm talking about child, I'm talking about if you have a teenage child, right? How many people have actually said, man, what on earth does the, what, how are they using this word lit? What does lit really mean? Because I thought lit meant like candles were lit, you know, and, and, and they're saying lit all the time. And I'm looking around, I don't see any candles. What does lit mean? What does fire mean? Because I hear them saying fire, oh, man, that's fire, except nothing is burning. What what does fire actually Mean? Has anybody ever thought that? Has anybody ever wondered, how can I learn what flossing means? Because I thought, I thought that flossing had something to do with the teeth, but it looks like whenever, every, whenever someone comes along and they look pretty good, that they're saying that they're flossing or they, they're, they're looking at their car and they're saying that they're flossing, except I don't see any dental floss inside. I don't see anybody messing with their teeth. What exactly are they talking about? What does fleek mean? the world do these words mean? Well, I have great news for you. There is, on the web, there is a page called urbandictionary.com. And you can go to Urban Dictionary, Parental Advisory, uh, parental advisory Suggested, you know, there, there's, there's, there's some naughty words on there sometimes. But you can go on Urban Dictionary and you can learn. You too can know <laughs> what flossing means. You can know what fire means means. You can know what lit means. You can know what savage means. Anybody ever heard that one? Savage? Man, that's savage. You're like, what? what? We in the jungle? What were you talking about? Well, there's one word that comes out that I, I, absolutely, I absolutely love it, right? And it's used all the time. It was used last night during the whole Floyd Mayweather fight, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor fight. It was the word, it's the word thirsty. Anybody ever heard that word used? Right. They used it last night quite a bit. Uh, if, you, if you were on the Twitter universe, you would see it. But, but has anybody ever asked the question, what does thirsty mean? Well, I can answer it for you, all right? I've been studying this kind of stuff, okay? Thirsty, thirsty is talking about a guy or a gal that will do anything to garner the attention of others, right? So, so like, if it's, if it's a guy and a third, thir- as a matter of fact, I actually took a few definitions from Urban Dictionary just, just for your sake. Examples of people who define thirsty are the girl at the club trying desperately to get into the VIP section. That would be considered thirsty. Or the guy that hits on every last girl in a group of girlfriends would be considered thirsty. Instagram folks, people on Instagram that that are given the title of thirsty, often because it seems like they are willing to do anything to garner more followers, they're considered thirsty. Thirsty. I find it interesting that that, that that word is in some ways used in the right way. The word thirsty is used in a way that is helpful for us because thirsty denotes and it signifies desperation. The idea that we are that, that that we are desperate and we'll do we'll do anything that we possibly can do in order to get what it is that we're trying to get now in this case you're searching for likes or in the, or in the case of some of the young folks usage of thirsty you're searching for a companion or you're searching for um you're searching for a group of friends or 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 whatever but there's a context for thirsty in John chapter 4 and it's interesting that that the context or the, 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 the setting of John chapter 4 is all about thirst, and, and the setting for John chapter 4 is also set around what? A well. Around a well. And the text is all about thirst. And so as we dive into this a little bit for a few minutes this morning, the question I have as we're working through it is, how thirsty are you? Or to put it another way, how desperate are you? What are you willing to, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to leave behind? What are you willing to forsake? And I'm not asking you about thirst just for for Instagram likes. I'm not asking you for thirst just for Facebook likes even. Not asking you for thirst for a companion or a friend or thirst to be accepted in some community or some group. I'm asking you you for for thirst. What are you thirsty? How thirsty are you for, for a greater reward? For something, that, for something that transcends all of this other stuff here on earth. How thirsty are you for that? How thirsty are you to see yourself in a place of significance that transcends all of this that we call significance here? This woman at this well that, that Brother Joe read about, she's a woman that, 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 that is going to the well, obviously to draw water, to quench thirst, but she's thirsty in ways that she has yet to even comprehend yet. And Jesus engages thirsty people. He engages thirsty people. And I want to talk about that engagement. I want to speak first to the rules of the engagement. Let's look at that. So, so in verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria Samaria, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So let's set the rules of this engagement. The, the, the woman... is Jesus's object of engagement. And most of the time when we think about engagement, right, it's it's you know, we engage, on, we engage on certain terms, certain rules. All of us do. But our rules and terms appear to be a little different than Jesus'. For example, we engage on the rules in terms of if a person is attractive or if a person is charismatic, you know, someone that you want to talk to, a person, maybe they are funny or hum- uh, full of humor. So you say, oh, that draws me to them. I want to talk to them and, and hear more about their story. Maybe they have interesting stories. Maybe they have interesting backgrounds. Maybe they have finances and money and income and wealth and you say, oh, man, I want to I I learn more about this, this person, this woman, this man who, who has this money. Maybe, maybe if I learn enough, maybe I'll get some of that too. And the less qualities that these folks demonstrate oftentimes, the less time we want to spend with them, right? <laughs> I mean, you can be honest, right? I mean, you, you can be honest. The less quality these folks show, the less time, I mean, the less time we want to spend with these people. They aren't interesting to us. Jesus, however, does a totally different thing. He totally engages on a different set of rules of engagement. Consider the fact that this woman is at 12 o'clock in the day going to fetch water, and she appears to be by herself, which is very unusual because at 12 o'clock in the day going to fetch water in, ancient, in the ancient days of the Bible, it's not something you do. You either go early in the morning or late in the evening. And you typically go with a group of women. They typically go together. And so the very fact that she's out there at 12 o'clock is suspicious. It drives us to wonder why is she there at the time that she's there. And we later come to learn and realize that one of the reasons that she's probably there at the time that she's there is because nobody else wants to be around her. She has five, she's had five husbands. And the person that she's living with right now is not her husband. And so she's already some, some one, a, a woman of social outcast. Does that make sense? A woman of moral outcast, but not only is she a woman of moral outcast, right? She's she's also a woman of ethnic outcast. She's a Samaritan, and so because uh, as Samaritans were considered, they would you know in a in a very coarse and harsh or savage way of saying they would they were considered half breed. They were considered mixed race because that his, historically they were part of the lineage of Israel, but in the captivity of Israel, there was uh, the king of Assyria and the Babylonians and, and some of those people from that group actually intermingled with Israelites and thus produced a mixed race, the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They Not only, had, not only were they ethnically mixed, but they were also in some, in some ways uh, religiously mixed, had adopted some of the faith and some of the customs of the, their, their captors. And so the Jews did not like them. So this woman was ethnically an outcast. But this woman was also not just ethnically an outcast and not just morally an outcast. But this woman was simply gender and socially an outcast because she was a woman. She was a woman, and we've talked about, even when we preached from this passage a few, a few months ago from Mother's Day, we actually preached from this passage, and we talked about how they viewed women in those days, that, their, that women weren't even credible, their testimonies weren't even considered credible, should witnesses be needed in the courts. That women had a lower status in many circles. And so this woman is genderly or, if you will, socially outcast. She is also ethnically outcast. She is also morally outcast. As a matter of fact, as you get to this well, this group of Samaritans, this group of outcasts, if you will, she doesn't even join them. She goes at a different time, meaning that amongst all the outcasts, she's an outcast. Well, think about that for a second. How interesting is a woman like that to engage? I mean, is this a person that, is this a person that you identify in the crowd and you say, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that person? For some of us, it, would this even be a person that you would go to and say, can I have a drink of water like Jesus said? Most of us would look for our Germ-X, hand sanitizer, right? Make sure that we're clean before we touch her. The Jews here say, no way Jesus needs to touch this woman. No way that Jesus needs to get a drink of water from this woman. And Jesus says, can I have a drink? By him asking for the drink, he's transcending all of the outcast qualities that we've just listed. By him asking for a drink, he's saying, yes, you are worth it. You are, he's changing the rules of engagement with the request. May I have a drink? The very first moments of this story, Jesus is telling us something about himself, and that is that Jesus saves those whom we deem unsavable. And he reaches out to those whom we deem unreachable. He's saying something about himself in this very first moment. Jesus crosses all of our lines, all of the lines that we draw and say, nope, I can't engage you because of this. I can't engage you because of that. I can't engage you because because of race. I can't engage you because of your promiscuous background. I can't engage you because you're this or whatever. Jesus crosses all of those lines in one sentence when he says, can I have a drink of water? And so as you think about that, think about this for us because not only is Jesus speaking or not only is Jesus sharing something about himself, but Jesus is also challenging us to something in this sentence. And that's this, will you follow your Savior across those lines, across the unspoken and unmentioned barriers into the neglected, the forgotten, the forsaken, the shamed? blamed will you follow your savior across those lines to engage those people will you change the rules of your cultural engagement will you set new rules i know what the culture says Even in the Christian culture, right? Even in the American Christian culture, I know what it says. I know how many lines that we draw saying that this person's unclean, so I'm not gonna spend any time with this, and this person's unclean. I'm not, oh you know those know those people, you know those old sexually promiscuous people, or you know those thugs out there, you know, or you know this or you know that. I know how many lines we draw, but I'm asking you a question: Are you gonna follow Jesus? Are you gonna follow Jesus? Across the line. What is your level of engagement with unbelievers right now? What is your level of engagement with people that your circle might reject or might reject you for embracing? What is your level of engagement with people that someone that, that aren't like you? And that, frankly, you feel uncomfortable chatting with. What is your level of engagement with those people? Are you changing the rules as you follow your Savior over the lines? If your Savior crossed the lines, how much more so should we? If he was willing to cross the lines, how much more should we be willing to cross the lines? Does that make sense? I mean, after all, our Savior was perfect. None of us hold that distinction. So if a perfect man crosses the lines and engages the unengaged or the, uh, the, the irredeemable, the unreachable, the unengageable, if you will, well, where does that leave his people? How should we approach engagement? Jesus, is, Jesus, I want you to understand something. Jesus' engagement is not just simply cross-racial, cross-ethnic. It is, but it's more. Jesus' engagement is not a happy project. Jesus' engagement actually will cost him something. It's a risk. Social capital is involved in this. In order for him to step across the lines and engage this woman, social capital has to be lost because the moment that someone sees him engage this unengageable woman, the moment they will say, "Well, he he's unclean too." Or he's I mean, look at that. Can you believe who he's talking to? Even his own disciples were like, "What in the world is he doing?" And so sometimes what we do is we, we engage up to the point that we can hold our social capital, right? We talk about Charlottesville up to the point that we can hold our social capital together. And then if we feel like if, 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 if there's something that I might say that might in fact reach over the line and bring a brother back, but will cost me the social capital of my peers, I won't say it. Are you tracking with that? You understand what I'm saying with that? Even when we know it to be right, we'll say, well, even when we know it to be godly to say, even when we know it to be the loving thing to proclaim, even when we know it to be the courageous thing to profess, we won't do it. Why? Because there is social capital at risk, and we say, okay, no, I'm not going to say it because I know if I say that all of the buddies on this side of the street are going to really come down on me. All of my buddies on this side of the street are going to really come down on me with the fact that that I am even pursuing to join in fellowship with a mixed-race church. Does that make sense? And all of us feel that weight on all sides. Understand that. Not Not just white, not just black, but all of us know the weight and the social capital that's at risk when we make certain moves. But are we following the Savior? And are we willing to change the rules to do so? If you were witnessing a man burning up and you had a extinguisher, but was guaranteed to get your hand burned in the process, would you put the fire out? And and that's, that's, that's in essence what's happening, isn't it? You know, that, that, that there's some things, that there's, some, there's some things, there's some lines that need to be crossed in our life, right, in order that people might be saved and for, the good, for the good and glory of God. But in the process, we might risk some things. It might cost us a little bit. But because of the desire to keep everything that we have, right, we won't cross those lines we'll let that man burn because we're worried about our hand getting scorched as we put the fire out. I'm asking you, will you cross the lines? Will I cross the line? Not just you, me. So he continues on and and not only is he setting rules and new rules, but he's setting a a reward for engagement. He asks the woman for a drink. This begins the conversation. Once they are able to get past these rules, the woman is able to discover that Jesus has a treasure for her. In verse 10, he says, uh, verse 10, he says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would, would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So at the heart of this engagement is an opportunity for this woman. This woman buried in sexual immorality, clearly an outsider, a social outcast has an opportunity to receive living water. This is at the root of every engagement Jesus arranges for us. All of us are at the well. We are looking for someone and something to satisfy and to fulfill us. And like this woman, most of us are at the well and don't even know what we're actually missing. This is what they found. This is what they found as they surveyed the the country in December of 2016 to March 2017. There was a survey done by Greenpeace. And and what they found in in discussing the idea of shopping is that many people an increasingly an alarming number of people shop and buy clothing that they simply cannot afford to buy. And not only do they shop and they buy clothing that they cannot afford to buy, But they shop and they buy clothing that they cannot afford to buy, and they actually say to themselves that the only reason they're buying it is to fulfill some social or emotional, psychological void. They're shopping, and they can't afford it because they're looking for something to quench the thirst. It's not only shopping that we do that, right? We are looking to quench thirst in in all sorts of different ways. For example, this woman is looking to her five husbands and, and the one that she's now living with who is not her husband in order to quench her thirst. But this is an opportunity for this woman to get everything that she needs, even if in this moment she has no clue what it really is that she needs. So she says in verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from this well himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up To eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. First, Jesus has nothing to draw from, right? Second, the well is extremely deep, which begs the question does Jesus have another source or does Jesus have another means? That's why she brings up Jacob. She says, Jacob dug this well. Jacob established this source for us to draw from it. So do you have another place we can get water, or do you have another means by which we can get this water? Are you greater than Jacob? He was the one who set this up. Are you greater than him? The answer is yes, obviously. But it's not because I know know how to get more water out of this. It's beyond that. that. Does that make sense to you? The reason, the, so, so, so Jesus sets this conversation up. He sets this engagement up where she's saying, hey, are you greater than our forefathers who established this method? And he says, of course, I'm greater than the forefathers who established this method, but not for the reasons that you consider. It is not because he had, I, I got a better method to draw water. And it's not because I have another natural source to give you water. It's because I have an, a, another water altogether a different kind of water. It's because I have what you actually really and truly need, and that is living water. You say, well, what is living water? It's simple. Living water is him. Living water is him. And so he says, that's what you need. So this is the reward for this engagement is that you along with anyone else that I reach out to, all the thirsty people in this world searching for something that they have no clue what they're looking for, I am offering them myself. I'm not offering you another glass. I'm not offering you another opportunity to draw natural water. I'm actually offering you what you really need and you just don't know you need it. I'm offering you me. Now, with the reward of engagement, there is a risk involved in the engagement. So in the following passage, Jesus shows us something extremely important about this text as it relates to having our thirst quenched forever with living water. Look at verse 16. He says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. This is right after this woman says, hey, I need that water. That living water that you got, I need it. I want it. Can you give that to me so that I may never thirst again? And this is how Jesus responds to her. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, "I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you am he." And so Jesus sets this in order. He says, "Listen, who you are looking for, who you the object of your worship, the source of living water, is here. But before we get there, we have to address something. Go get your husband. seems like an odd question, you know, out of nowhere, but it's really not. There's a risk involved with engagement. So here's the risk. The risk that prohibits many of us from getting the reward is that in order to get to the well of living water, we have to give up the other wells that we're possessing. Does that make sense? So this well of living water that Jesus is offering, has to, it has to come as an exchange. You have to forfeit the other wells. What happens in most cases is that we want Jesus, but we also want the wells that we got back here, right? We don't want to leave any of these wells behind. You say, "Well, what kind of wells I don't know? What, what kind of wells are in your life? What is it that you deem that you must have in order to be satisfied? What is it that you feel like you cannot live without in order to be satisfied? What is it that you have made, in essence, an idol? Jesus says, that's what I have to receive. There can be no other gods before me, according to the book of Exodus. And so what that means is that you must forsake the whales. Is it money? Are you pursuing the kind of financial security that you're telling yourself that once you have it, you'll have everything you need? And so do you recklessly pursue that? Do you forfeit everything else? Do you leave everything else behind, even God? for your pursuit of money? Is it self-righteousness? Do you find comfort in the fact that you're good enough and, and that when people step into the room and monitor those within the room, when they lay eyes on you, they know that they have found someone that obeys all the time? Do you find pride in that? Do you do everything you can to be perceived by the world as right? Is it family? As long as my family is secure, as long as my my kids have everything and they turn out to be really good and really productive citizens in this world, then everything in my life will be fine. What is it? Obviously for this woman, it's the comfort of a man, the security of a man. So she has five and and then all of them have gone on, but then she has this one that she's living with now telling herself that because he's here, everything's going to be fine. What is it? What is it that, 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 that you find or that you believe that if you keep drinking from it, you'll eventually be satisfied? What is it? Jesus says, go get your husband, not because he's trying to shame her, but he says, go get your husband because he's actually trying to, Four wants truly satisfied does that make sense instead of searching for all of the satis- satisfaction in all of these fickle and insignificant ways he's trying to actually satisfy her for eternity and he says go get your husband and he begins to deal with that he says she says I don't have one he says sure you're right because you've had five and the one that you live with now It's not yours. So you are right. You don't have a husband. And she turns the subject to worship, and he rightly continues down that lane. And he says, well, yeah, sure. The worship that you're talking about establishing is not built on place. It's not built on time. The worship you're talking about establishing is built on spirit and truth. The worship you're talking about establishing is within the soul of a man, it's within the heart of a man. It's, it's, it's the place where satisfaction lives. It's the place where the wrestle is. The wrestle to, to go in this direction or to go in that direction. Yeah, that's where worship is. And that's where I want to be in your life. Does that make sense? I don't want to be, I don't, it's not about being confined to a place. That's not worshiping Jesus. It's not enough to just say, hey, well, I go to this church every Sunday. It's not worshiping Jesus. It's not enough to say, hey, well, I, 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 I sing in this group or I do these good things. That's, that's, no, it worship is spirit and truth. It's heart that Jesus is drilling into. Where do you find satisfaction? Where does your heart go seeking satisfaction? That's what Christ is looking for. That's what Christ is looking for. Maybe it's politics. Paying attention, right, to what is going on in the world of Christianity and politics. Because politics is connected to power. And so if you're watching it from all sides of Christianity, people are laying down their prophetic voice. Been doing it increasingly, more and more and more through the years sides of the Christian faith, laying down their prophetic voice. Why? In hopes that they'll get seats at the table, seats at the Democrat table, seats at the Republican table. Why? Because they tell themselves, if we, are, if we ever get there, if we ever get that seat, then everything will be fine. And they're forsaking the source of living water in order to do it. Some of you identify with this woman at the well. Some of you look at your life and you say, Yeah, man, I had all kinds of sexual craziness going on in my life. Some of you identify with that. Others of you look at this woman and believe that you don't have anything to do with her. You say to yourself, I lived a pretty good life, a pretty good, pure life. You say, I've never had five husbands. But folks, you have to understand that you were still thirsty for something besides Jesus. And that thirst is what makes you like this woman at this well in need of living water. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter what your thirst was. If your thirst was outside of the Savior, you are that woman at that well in need of an exchange. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? You know, the reality is is that some of us hold this drop of water in a cup, right? Right? We get one drop at a time and we take it and then we're thirsty again and we take it and we're thirsty again. And Jesus is offering in exchange for that, right? He's saying, hey, hey, give me that. Give me that, right? And 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 I'll give you in exchange for that. I'll give you fountains of water, founds of water. You, you, you'll, you'll, ne- you'll never have to be thirsty again, <laughs> right? But some of us think that we got something because we got this drop in a cup. And so we hold it, you know, we hold it and we coddle it and Jesus is pulling it back and says, no, 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 you know. And we, find, and we, and we, th- and we think it's gonna eventually satisfy us and it just, you know, it just keeps offering drops, right? Drops another drop in the cup and we take it and then we, we say, we tell ourselves, that, hey, no, 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 it's going to get better. Just a little bit more money. Just a little bit more money. You know, well, well if, if family does this, if family does this, then, then the, yep, I'll be right. Or, or if I could just get that man or if I could just get that woman, then I'll be all right. Or if we get in this position or we get in that position, then we'll be all right. Let's just drop some cups, folks. Jesus is offering you the fountain. Take the fountain. Take the fountain. And so the woman, in having this engagement, recognizes that I'm in the the presence of someone great. She starts off saying, hey, this is a really, really kind Jewish man. He's giving me, he's asking me for a drink, and no Jewish man would do that. Then she moves from thinking that he's a really, really kind Jewish man to saying, wait a minute, this this guy's a prophet. He knows my life. He's told me everybody I've, you know, been with something really, really special about this guy. But by the end of this conversation, she moves from that to asking the question, is this man the Christ? Is he the savior of the world? And when she leaves, it goes from obviously setting rules of engagement to seeing, uh, defining the reward of engagement to unpacking the risk of that engagement to now the result of the engagement. The result of the engagement is in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. I, I love the fact that the scripture shares with us. That she left her jar. I love the fact that the scripture shares with us that she left her jar. She went thinking that she needed to quench one type of thirst. She left, realizing that 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 wasn't really what she was thirsty for. It wasn't really what she needed. She found what she needed at the well, and it had nothing to do with water. At least not dead water. Living water that was at the well, and living water that caused her to leave her jar right there where it was, and said, "I'm going to go tell the world about the water that will satisfy us for eternity." Let me share, let me share something with you. When you actually come into contact with the living water, otherwise known as Jesus Christ. You desire to make it known. Does that make sense? What if what if you stumble up on, let's say you just happen to wander into a room one day, you know, it's an open room, and it's it's just like a big vat of dollar bills in there, hundred dollar bills. You look around, it's like, okay, well. Maybe you, don't, maybe you don't take one because you're like, this is crazy, so you leave. But then you come back the next day and it's there. Okay, this is interesting. A note is left there on, on, on the vat, on, on this big box or whatever, this big deep vat of, 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 of dollar bills, $100 bills, and it says, take as many as you want. They multiply. What? Okay, you put one in your pocket. You come back next day, sure enough, they, wait a second take another one, you take a so hundred today. You take a hundred and you put them in your pocket. And sure enough, the hundred is back the next day. You realize, wait a second. I can take as many as I want. They're just going to keep multiplying. This is interesting. What do you do with that? I mean, literally, it's just multiplying. It's just, you know, your friends say, hey, man, what, what do you do today? You say, eh, yeah, know, nothing. Is that, is, is that what you say? Is that what you really say? Or do you say, dude, let me tell you about something. I found a vat of money that does not stop coming. Come on, man, let's go. Right? Let's go. Let's go. And then, and then when you run to the friend, another friend. Another friend comes along. Hey, man, what you been doing today? Eh, Nothing. No, that's not what you say. You say, dude, let me tell you something. I found a vat of money that does not stop coming. Let's go. By the the time this is over, all of your friends are there with you, right? Everybody's there to pull from this vat of money. It's because you, you, even as we say that, you realize that money ignites something in us, doesn't it? (laughs) What do we do about Jesus, though? Let's talk, let's think about that. How many excuses do we find for not sharing Jesus? Hey, you, you're not just on trial, it's me too. So, so what we're looking for is eyes to see, right? Him as he really is and what he's really done. A heart to feel what he's really done for us, Right? And and and, and 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 a mind to the the, the the mind and the comprehension to to unfold and unpack that shows us just how much we have in these living waters. Because when that is unlocked, all of a sudden we say, Man, I gotta tell somebody about this. I have to talk to somebody about this savior. That's what happens with that woman at that well that day. She sees him for who he is. She leaves. She says, I have to tell people about him. She doesn't even take her jar with her. She leaves it behind. He makes you a witness. He makes you not only a witness, but he makes you a credible one. Did you catch the fact that it's a woman going and telling everybody about him? A woman who is normally an uncredible witness is now considered credible. And all of the, uh, she's going and she's telling everybody, and everybody's like, wow, man, let's go see, let's go see, let's go see. He's done something in her life where they are convinced this is worth a hearing. Does that make sense? How moved are you by Jesus that when people are around you, they say to themselves, that's worth a hearing? Or is your life so unmoved, so untransformed, so unchanged, that when you say that Jesus is Lord, people say, really? (laughs) could have fooled me. Didn't know that. Does that make sense? When Jesus, when Jesus, when you come in contact with living water, his living water, he makes you credible because the satisfaction is tangible, right? You can visibly see it in people. And they say, man, yeah, it's worth it here." Sure. Now, I might not accept him because you, you might tell me that some stuff I'm not ready to give up. I might not accept them, But it's worth a listen. Go ahead. Tell me what happened, man, because you're a totally different dude than the guy I remember. You're a totally different woman than the woman I met. Let me say this last thing. He makes you a bridge. So what ends up happening is all the people say, yes, we hear you. We hear you, but we're going to see him for ourselves. And they all go, right? And then when they all go, they say, hey, yeah, that was good. We, we appreciate you unpacking this for us, sharing with us what he did for you. But now, but we seen and heard him with our own eyes and our own ears, and so now we know. We know, right? You, you, you let us. We appreciate it. You opened the door, but we know now because we saw him for ourselves. And so Jesus makes you that bridge, doesn't he? He he makes you this this credible witnessing bridge that connects people back to him. You don't don't, don't do the work of saving, right? You do the work of testifying and witnessing and declaring, and, and, and God will do the work. God will add the increase. God will actually do the visiting necessary to transform the heart. Does that make sense? But you're the bridge. So go and be that bridge. Go and share with the world what God has done in you. Go and tell the world about this water that satisfies you now and will satisfy you throughout eternity. And if you are not drinking of this water, if you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then put the cup of drops down. Whatever those drops are, put the cup of drops down. If you're really thirsty, then there is a drink for you that will leave you never thirsty again. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you give you all praise and glory and honor we ask that you would speak to us this morning you spoke lord we ask that you would now father move in our hearts and our lives lord god continue to do the work that we that we have wrestled with in this room and and continue to do the work that's that's happening in this room lord god continue to do the work lord god that your word father creates so father lord we ask that if there be any in this room that do not know you that you would make yourself known to them Father, that if there be any in this room that wrestle, that are still wrestling with knowing you, Lord God, that you would make yourself known to them. That if there be any that are in, in a state, Lord God, that they're, they know you, Lord God, but they're just like, man, it feels like I'm in a dry land. It feels like I'm parched and I'm looking for living water, Lord, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like I have any. Lord, would you make yourself known? Would you make that living water rise and bubble up again afresh in their lives. We love you. We thank you, Lord God. Do it for your glory's sake. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.